It was a cold October morning in Wilson, Kentucky, when the mutilated body of Nancy Lowe was found on the side of the road. Although some suspects were investigated, no one has been held responsible for the death of my cousin. It is my hope that this podcast will bring us closer to finding Nancy's killer nearly 10 years later. Wilson rests in central Kentucky in an obscure wooded area of Wing County. You won't find us on any map, and most likely have never heard of Merle Nest, the Branchers, or Paul Swan. Because of this, I feel it is important to acquaint you with my hometown. Wilson's founder, Merle Nest, was a rancher and Roman Catholic priest who settled in the area for his family and congregation of nearly 200 in the early 19th century. They built a church and small homes, living off the fertile land around them. Reportedly, it was such a close-knit, friendly community, they originally called this growing town Nestview. This small religious group was peaceful for nearly a year until Merle Nest's son, Wilson Nest, died in the woods due to still mysterious circumstances. Merle was driven nearly insane by this and began building more and more businesses and homes to, as he put it, drive out the trees. This new area was simply called Wilson in memory of Merle Ness's son. Because of this manic building and growth, Wilson is split into two areas, the urban community and the suburbs. They are connected by a five-mile-long road, which cuts through the untouched wildlife which surrounds Wilson. Due to either local superstition or simply lack of funds, these thick wooded areas have almost never been touched. The suburbs are made of Merle Ness's original community. His church still stands, though it is in disrepair. There are some smaller shops and restaurants in the suburban area, as well as Wilson Elementary School. But most of the businesses are five miles away in the urban center. There's the courthouse, the radio station, bars, the middle and high school, and the Swan Shop. According to most Wilsonians, Paul Swan was the most important thing to happen to Wilson since Merle Nest himself. In the 1960s, Mr. Swan's family moved to Wilson from Jackson, Mississippi, when he was four years old, though he likes to say he was born and bred here. His parents were rich business owners who, depending on who you ask, either wanted to grow the local economy or funnel dirty money through smaller local businesses. They built their own large mansion on the outskirts of the urban town center. This was the first major construction to occur in the woods since the town's creation. Although many still regard Paul Swan as a titan of industry and entrepreneurship, he is an incredibly soft-spoken and awkward person. He is short and pale, with nearly white blonde hair and striking blue eyes, which always just seem to stare past you. He fights a strong stutter, which, at times, becomes so intense that he can't speak. The few who knew him growing up have used words like shy or aloof. Others who knew him best have called him nerdy or weirdo. A common nickname for Mr. Swan was Paul the Small. Though it's fair to say he lacks social skills, his strengths in business dealings and hunting are unmatched. As a teenager, Paul worked as a bag boy at the local mom-and-pop grocery store Crane Family Market. In ten years, he worked his way up through the ranks until he finally owned the little store converting it to the first location of his highly successful chain of Swan Shop grocery stores. At the same time, he took up hunting, learning from a local World War II vet named Bill Cage. 
Paul was an excellent marksman and was constantly winning awards for local and national shooting competitions. At the age of 25, Paul Swan was finally making a name for himself. Though many had accused young Paul, the small swan, of nepotism throughout the years, and rightfully so, no one could deny his work ethic. One of the first things he did with his own fortune was buy his parents a trip abroad for their anniversary. However, the plane carrying his parents would suffer major engine failure in the air after it collided with a flock of birds. Paul was left with crushing guilt, the mansion by the woods, and his parents' entire fortune. People have said that after the death of his parents, Paul Swan changed. He was just as quiet and reserved, but there was hurt and anger behind the silence. He no longer seemed afraid by the world, just cut off from it. And although the people of Wilson still respected him, there was quite a few people who didn't like him. Some even hated him. Bill Cage, the World War II vet who taught Paul every goddamn thing he knew, according to Cage himself, is now dead from acute kidney failure. Before he died, Bill Cage reached out to Mr. Swan, who he considered like a son. He'd asked Mr. Swan to either help him pay for dialysis or for his kidney transplant. Mr. Swan refused, saying that he didn't want to waste his money or kidney on an alcoholic drug addict. This angered many in the veteran community, who tried and failed to raise enough money for Bill Cage's medical bills. My parents didn't like Paul Swan either. Mr. Swan had tried and failed to buy out the local newspaper, the Wilson Watch, where my parents wrote about local current events. My dad has said Paul Swan was, and I quote, always trying to control things. Even though we mainly report about the local potato sack races or some dog who saved some other dog or some crazy drunk who swears he saw a monster or something, Paul still didn't feel comfortable with the free press of the Wilson Watch. Small Swan was always such a weirdo. End quote. My mother theorizes Paul Swan's obsession with the Wilson Watch wasn't necessarily about controlling the media. To quote her, He never tried to control the local radio station. That always struck me as odd. I think the Wilson Watch reported about Paul Swan a long time ago, and he didn't want whatever was written about him getting out. The one person who hates Paul Swan the most, I think, is Officer Hal Avery. When Paul was in high school and working at the Crane Family Market, he became friends with the owner's daughter, Mary Crane. Mary was known as a fun and rebellious girl. Her sister, now medical examiner Ava Crane, has said, Mary liked to raise hell, but she almost never got caught. A mother liked to use Mary as a bad example, but I looked up to her. She never got herself into more trouble than she could handle. That's certainly smarter than most people around here. Many people had suspected Mary and Paul's friendship was either a cruel joke at the expense of Paul or that Mary was being paid to befriend Paul, but neither seemed to be true. According to Avery, Mary and Paul's friendship seemed genuine. To quote Hal Avery, Even after his parents passed, me and Mary would still invite Paul to get-togethers. Back when he wasn't talking to nobody, Paul would be able to talk to Mary. They seemed just like brother and sister that way, like they'd been through something together. I have asked Officer Avery if he ever felt jealous of Mary and Paul's relationship, but his response was simply, that would be like if I was jealous of Mary being around Ava too much. Doesn't really make sense. You can't be jealous of kin. 
Ava agrees that Mary and Paul's relationship was not romantic. She stated, I had my suspicions at first. She would bring him over to the house, and I remember my father giving Paul the cliche, don't touch my daughter act. I'm sure I had seen her sneak out of the house at night to spend time with Paul. But over the years, it was clear that Paul had no intention of dating Mary. If anything, I think he was more interested in wooing my parents. I asked Ava to elaborate on this. It's her theory that Paul had pursued a friendship with Ava so he could one day buy the Crane family market from her parents. Although Ava admitted this is an incredibly unlikely theory, she continued that, Paul went from being a bag boy to owning the company and gaining my parents' trust after just 10 years. I don't think my parents would have sold their business to just anybody, but they could trust their daughter's best friend. It's also worth noting that the Crane family didn't just sell the entire company away to Paul. One of the stipulations of the deal was that Mary and Ava had to be partners in the new company, though Ava had little interest in being part of the supermarket industry. She took her shares and left the company to study forensics and criminal sciences. This would make Mary and Paul equal owners of the swan shop chain. Ava has said that leaving the company was a symbolic gesture of individuality and independence from her family but she now regrets leaving the company to just Mary and Paul because of what happened. Over the years, Paul had become more irritable and reserved. Avery said Paul stopped showing up to their events and that Mary would be on the phone with Paul for hours at night. This resulted in a very dark time for Mary as well. According to Avery, this disagreement stemmed from Paul wanting to close the original Crane family market and open up a swan shop in its place. Ava had said that this original location meant a great deal to Mary, especially since their parents had just been laid to rest a year or so before. Not only did Paul not seem to care, he seemed to think that because Mary's parents were gone, it made sense to close the original family market. Mary, owning half the company, refused. This would be the only decision Mary had ever made in the company. It would also be her last. The Cranes weren't simple people, but they also weren't used to dealing with big business practices. Early papers written up about the ownership of the Crane family market were relatively vague about how shares would be divided and managed. And as the small business became a corporation and grew into a successful enterprise, Paul had kept a close eye on who was a majority shareholder and who was put on the board of directors. Mary didn't, and would be kicked out of the company just as her son was entering the second grade. Over the next three years, Mary would sink into a deep depression. As Avery says, She felt betrayed by everything. She had lost her parents. She had lost the company. She had, she had lost her friend. And she couldn't understand why. It was just too much for her. Mary Avery took her life on August 16th of 2006. She was 44 years old. Officer Hal Avery still holds Paul Swan accountable. He says, The man took everything from her, and then he took everything from me. I like to think there's a little bit of good in everybody. I think you have to think that way when you're a cop. But there ain't no good in Paul. I never wish death upon anyone, but Lord knows I am praying for his recovery. Suffice it to say, when Nancy was found on a small plot of land owned by Paul Swan, Officer Avery worked tirelessly to put Swan at the site of the murder. 
The police had gotten a warrant to search Swan's house for clues or further evidence. They were looking for gardening materials, whatever object could cut Nancy's neck, or any evidence Nancy had been to Swan's house. Her blood, her clothes, or her missing bike. Not only could they not find any of this evidence on Swan's property, authorities couldn't find Swan. Now retired Chief of Police Richard J. tells me that Officer Hal Avery was working around the clock to track down Paul Swan. Hal was obsessed, he says. I don't think he went home. Just called a babysitter for Eli and slept in his cruiser. He kept going back and forth between the crime scene and Mr. Swan's house. He was the one who found the shed. The authorities had already found and searched a shed full of gardening supplies that Swan's hired gardeners had told them about. However, Officer Avery had found another shed. This one was smaller, older, and hidden behind overgrown tree branches and bushes. Although the shed was dusty and falling apart, the front door appeared to be open and the branches cleared in order to facilitate an entrance. Once inside, the authorities found a large collection of guns, ammo, and swords. However, It's what they didn't find which concerned them. On the wall was a collection of old metal gardening supplies, a trowel, a transplanter, and a weeder. But there was a space between the transplanter and the weeder for another tool. The faded label below it read what should have been in its place was a cultivator. An arrest warrant was issued for Paul Swan. Paul Swan. 